Good morning, Risen Hope. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Acts chapter 3. Can you hear me? Amen. They said turn it up a little bit. All right. Acts chapter 3. I'll be reading from verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This one more verse, verse 11. Now while he clinged to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in a portico called the Solomon, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed them. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man to walk? I want to preach on the subject, fearless and effective evangelism. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts truly be acceptable in your sight. Visit, visit us now, Lord God, in your preach word. In Jesus' name we do pray. And everyone say amen. Perhaps you've been through evangelism course or evangelism explosion, like proclaim or, you know, some other course. But you never mustered up enough guts to share your faith with the unchurched. Maybe you've been trained in proclaim multiple times. And even attempted to share your faith, but have not succeeded in gaining any fruit. Regardless of what evangelism method you have been trained in, if you've been trained at all, God can take the smallest seeds of the gospel truth and plant them in the hearts of people who have yet to receive Christ. I wonder what people you can impact with the good news during your lunch break at work or a doctor's visit in a waiting room if you weren't afraid to make small talk. Or perhaps the multiple times you came out of your house only to be greeted by your neighbor, your next door neighbor, who wants to make small talk, but you keep the conversation to a bare minimum. 
and never ask the question, the evangelistic question. I get it. You battle with the fear of rejection or not knowing how to turn the conversation around towards spiritual matters. I get it. Someone even argued, man, listen, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I leave that to the professionals. Yet in reality, all of us are called as disciples of Christ to be witnesses for Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says what? And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the other parts of the earth. And as we continue our series through the book of Acts, now in chapter 3, God gave us a portrait of two individuals who were fearless and effective in their evangelism. Let's look at what Peter and John encountered with this one individual, this lame beggar, that leads to mass conversion of people at the temple. What exactly did they do to be fearless and effective and sharing their faith. This chapter is divided into two sections. The first part is the miracle of the lame beggar, verses 1 through 10. And the second part is the message of the apostle Peter, verses 11 through 26. One could easily summarize this chapter as a lame excuse to preach the gospel. Amen? If you're, we're going to be a bold witness for Jesus, if you're going to be a bold witness for Jesus to others and be effective at it, it starts with a spirit of prayer in full reliance on the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. Verse 1 tells us, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those who were entering the temple. It was at ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which was the usual time for prayer for the Jews. But it was a special, significantly, uh, a special occasion for the Christians because it was the very hour on which Jesus had died on the cross. It was the hour that he had hung his head and cried, it is finished, to tell us time. Peter and John were just coming out of the context of deep, day-by-day -day Christian fellowship in chapter 2, verses 24 to 47. In the aftermath of the Spirit of God falling on Pentecost and filling his people, we see a pattern of intense devotion to the apostolic word, to prayer, to worship, to communion, to unity and fellowship, and extraordinary giving and sharing. And on top of all of this, the disciples developed the habit day by day of attending the temple together and breaking bread in their home. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is really a compact description of Christian discipleship. Peter and John was coming out of this context of deep fellowship and discipleship and spirit-driven prayer meetings. These were two of Christ's disciples who had passed by this beggar Plenty of times before. But what was different about this occasion? Peter and John were so saturated in prayer, so in tune and in touch with God, that they saw what God saw. They had a level of spiritual discernment to compel them to address an ugly situation. 
within God's sovereignty, he opened Peter and John's eyes to hear and see this man at the temple's gate. If we're going to rely fully on the Holy Spirit for fearless and effective evangelism, then we have to pray for divine opportunities. We have to pray for divine opportunities to join God where he is at work. Typically, when people think about witnessing, they usually think about their, out, their street evangelism, 69th Street, or in-your-face confrontational evangelism. Certainly, we can see Peter and John engage in this kind of street evangelism here. Yet when Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, the wording there means that as you go about your ordinary life, make disciples. That's exactly what's happening with Peter and John as they make their way to prayer service. God had an assignment for them just outside the gate called Beautiful. And if they were not fully relying on the Spirit and in tune with God, they would have missed the opportunity to see where God is at work. You see, it's possible to become so busy going to prayer service or church service that we miss divine opportunities along the way. That is why prayer must become a lifestyle and not a program that we attend. Luke gives us three striking observations about this lame beggar in verses 2 to 3. The lame beggar, watch this, he was lame from birth. He'd never been able to, to stand up or, or run or to play like the other boys growing up. And I'm sure he had many opportunities that were denied him because of his affirmity. Number two, he had to be carried daily. This man never known the freedom of going anywhere without petitioning others to carry him there. And number three now. He's a grown man, and every day his friends must carry him up to the temple so that he would beg for a living. That was a lot of work. They had to carry him up to the temple, up the steps, and lay him at the gate that is called the beautiful gate. It was a clever location for displaced people of that day. Perhaps religious folks on their way into worship service felt sympathy for the man in his condition and offered alms to him. But everybody going into the temple saw the man, perhaps, they dropped change in his basket and at times, but, but none of them stopped to address this man's real need. Typically, the, the normal reaction from people when they see a, a beggar on the street, is to look the other way. Right? Not so with Peter and John. The scripture tells us that, that Peter and John, notice what they did. Peter and John stopped. That's my second point. They stopped, looked, and listened to get the man's attention. They stopped, looked, and listened to get the man's attention. Verse 3, and seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. 
and he fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And when we learn, watch this, when we learn how to see people, we learn how to treat people. We learn how to treat them not as a means to an end, not as objects to manipulate, not as projects to convert, but as people who have been made in the very image of God in desperate need of salvation through Christ. You see, we have to meet people where they are. We have to listen to their story. Many were fascinated with the art of this beautiful gate in front of them on their way into prayer meetings. But they missed the apex of God's creation in the Omega day within this lame beggar. Many fixated their eyes on the beautiful gate, but Peter and John fixated their eyes on this man who was in a mess. And we don't even know what his name was. But Peter and John stopped. That's an important point for us. We need to learn how to stop. They gave him undivided attention. You see, active listening for us, active listening gives us a gateway into a person's story. We hear their joys, their worries, their needs, their pain, and their problems. Peter and John stopped, looked, and listened. They refused to leave this man in his mess. They were full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, and yet they were also full of God's love. It was Martin Luther who said that the whole being of any Christian is faith and love. <laughs> faith brings the person to God. Love brings the person to people. Let me repeat that. The whole being of any Christian is faith and love. Faith brings the person to God. Love brings the person to people. But you might be afraid. I don't know how to share my faith. The scripture says that, God, if you are a believer, by faith, listen, God has poured out his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. Peter and John stopped, and they made eye contact. They said, look at us. And if we're going to be bold in our evangelism, we have to make eye contact. The eyes are the gateway into the soul. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. See, we need to practice the art of making the connection with individuals. Reaching one is just as significant as reaching thousands. Peter and John were caught up in reaching the one individual, and in doing so, they end up reaching thousands with the gospel. See, when we see people through the eyes of Jesus, we engage them the way Christ engaged them. Think about it for a minute. Every person that Christ engaged with, watch this, with the gospel, you remember he saw them, and when he saw them, he engaged them with the gospel. You remember when Jesus saw Nick at night <laughs> or the woman at the well or Zacchaeus in a tree or the multitude without a shepherd. 
or, the, or that lame man, that crippled man who was trapped at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years in John chapter 5. And even that thief on the cross, everyone Jesus saw, he touched them in some way and proclaimed the gospel and saved them. And now Christ meets this crippled beggar through the agency of the apostles Peter and John, and we are blown away by the results. My prayer is that, God, you would give us eyes, the eyes of Christ, so that we would see what Peter and John saw. I'm reminded of the song by Brandon Heath. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so that I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your heart for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so that I can see. You see, when we make the connection with people, we become conduits through which God works. We have to stop looking, listen, to get their attention. He directed his gaze at him, as did John fixing his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. The scripture tells us that, that Peter <laughs> gave the man healing in the name of Jesus. Look at verses 6 through 10. Let's make it our aim to give people Jesus. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold, I do not have. But in the name of Jesus Christ, watch this, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter said, I don't have any money to give you. Can you imagine what this lame man was thinking in his mind? His heart sank in his chest. As he heard Peter's initial words, you don't have any silver and gold. We don't have anything to talk about. This is my professional job. I'm out here begging for money, and you don't have any. How could you help me? Yet within the same breath, Peter commanded, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We have to give them Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is Jesus Christ. Watch this. He is not dead. Nor is he in the abstract. He was born in a real historical time and place. Why Nazareth? Nathaniel asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> it wasn't exactly a desirable place. Neither was this man in a desirable place in his life. But Jesus meets him where he's at. Verse 6. Notice here that Peter does not beg the exalted Lord for the healing, but releases the very power of healing through the utterance of the name of Jesus Christ. Saying the name of Jesus is not a magical formula detached from the person of Christ. No, within the Hebrew culture, the name represents the very person, character, and presence of the individual. Hence the power of the person is present and available in the name of the person. When Peter called on that name by faith, 
he was invoking the very presence and power of Christ to heal this man. Peter and John were simply used as agents of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christ alone is the one who healed this man. It was Warren Wisby who said that when we ask the Father for something in the name of Jesus Christ, it is as if we're, Jesus Christ himself is asking for it. And if we remember this, it will help to keep us from asking for things that are unworthy of his name. See, some are good at being able to share Jesus, but maybe poor at helping them practically. We need to look for opportunities to help people in real practical ways. Amen? Offer them a helping hand. Look at verse 7. And Peter grabbed the man by the hand. Look at the dramatic healing of this lame beggar right now. Verse 7, and he took him by the hand, the right hand, and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Verse 8, and leaping up, he stood up and began to walk, entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And I guess you could call this man in terms of his denomination, he was a Reformed Baptocostal because he had the freedom of being able to worship God from a deep sense of gratitude, and he didn't care what other people thought about him. He was surrounded by dignitaries who probably looked at him with a critical eye, but he was walking and leaping and praising God out of gratitude. Warren Wisby, Wisby he said that it's easy for us to see in this man an illustration of what salvation is like, right? He was born lame. And all of us are born unable to walk so as to please God. Our Adam had a serious fall and passed his lameness on to all of us as his descendants. Romans chapter 5. The man was also poor. And we as sinners are bankrupt before a holy God, unable to pay the debt, the tremendous debt that we owed him, Luke chapter 7. He was outside the temple, and all the sinners, all sinners are separated from God, no matter how near the door we might be. The man was healed wholly by the grace of God, and the healing was immediate. And he gave evidence of what God had done by walking and leaping and praising God. And by publicly, watch this, identifying himself with the apostles both in the temple and in their arrest. Now he could stand. And there was no question where he stood. You see, there is nothing that spiritually lame people can do to heal their sin-sick spiritual condition. That's why in the Peter preached the unadulterated gospel of Christ. Notice the overwhelming reaction of the spectators in the temple court, verses 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Yes, we make it our aim to give people Jesus. But in order to do that well, we must seek to put Christ on full display. 
It's all about Jesus. The healing of this man drew such a massive crowd around the three men that they were overcrowded in Solomon's porch on the east side of the temple. It was a place where Jesus himself had ministered, John chapter 10. It was where the church had worshipped, Acts chapter 5. The beggar was let on to Peter and John out of a deep sense of overwhelming gratitude, wouldn't you, if you couldn't walk for 40 plus years? Notice the play on of words they looked or gazed at throughout the narrative. The lame man seeing Peter and John going into the temple, he saw him. Then Peter and John directed their gaze at this man and said, look at us. The crippled man fixed his attention on them with expectancy. And now, formerly the crippled man who is holding on to Peter and John with a fierce gratitude, all eyes are now looking onto Peter and John, fixated on them. But Peter redirects the people's gaze away from them and on to Christ by asking two questions. By asking two questions. Men of Israel, why do you stand why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at, at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man to walk? Men of Israel, this was the most courteous way for one to address the Jewish people and to emphasize their close relationship, their covenant relationship with their ethnic brethren. Remember, they're in the temple court. And they're surrounded by Jews who had come to pray. And Peter is speaking to these Jewish men who would have been familiar with the Old Testament. He proceeds to use language that they could readily understand. So the question is, when you share the gospel, do you seek to share it in a way that the other person can comprehend? Peter opens this sermon in Acts with two piercing questions. Why does this surprise you? And why do you stare at us as though by our own hand or power, power we have made this man to walk? Don't stare at us. We didn't do it by our own power. You know who's responsible for this? It's Jesus. We have to get good at learning how to ask great questions. And after Peter asked these two piercing questions, he draws their attention to the one responsible for the miracle. Peter, in essence, was saying, this is not about me. This is not about John. This is not about the formerly crippled man. Verse 13 this is about the same God that you believe in, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Essentially the same as saying the God of the living, not the God of the dead. The one whom you study about in the scriptures. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. Notice he did not say God has glorified his son Jesus or his prophet Jesus or his prince of priests. No, though he is those titles, the language that Peter used took them back to the Old Testament. The miracle was done by God's servant, Jesus, the suffering servant, Messiah, alluded to in Isaiah chapter 53. Peter proclaimed, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. We need to rely on the Spirit. It's his job to glorify Christ. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. And he's nowhere mentioned in this chapter, but his presence saturates every verse as he uses Peter to call people to respond to the gospel. 
And as we think about what it means to be fearless and effective in sharing Christ, our prayers should be to proclaim the glory and beauty and attractiveness and loveliness and magnificence of Christ in every opportunity we get. And as disciples of Christ, we need help to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is no small task. And yes, we have to allow Christ to radiate through us in our lifestyle. We have to live out the gospel truth and neighbor love, but we also have to live out the gospel. Have you ever heard the phrase, preach the gospel, and whenever possible, use words? I understand the merit of that statement, but make no mistake about it, the gospel is not preaching unless it is proclaimed through God's word using words. And as I hasten, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it cuts initially. Peter does not back down or sugarcoat the gospel. He shares the raw truth of God's word, and that's what we have to do by his grace. But he does it in a spirit of humility and gentleness because he says, brethren, I know that you did this in ignorance, as did your fathers. But he says, repent, so that the times of the refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you're going to be fearless and effective in your evangelism, you have to. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit. You have to make contact with the people. Stop looking, listen. You have to share Christ in the spirit of humility and grace. And you have to